Axis Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the cleaner tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, why WeWork might be helping Bernie Sanders and a music milestone 25 years in the making. But first, space junk janitors. So on our first ever episode of the Pro Rata podcast, we noted that a job of the future might be picking up space junk, particularly as we shoot more and more satellites, big and small, into orbit. But that future might already be here. Several companies are popping up to deal with the space debris problem, including one called ClearSpace, which was just hired by the European Space Agency to remove a piece of rocket left in orbit. And then there are incumbent aerospace giants like Northrop Grumman, which in October launched a vehicle to link up with a satellite that's low on fuel to help keep it functioning in orbit past its expected end date. The big issue here, though, is rules or lack of rules. No one can really agree on who is responsible for space junk, let alone for cleaning it up, even though space junk estimates range from tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands. And all of that matters, particularly because the new things we launch into space can collide with the old things we launched into space. And all of those things are very expensive. And then there's the possibility, it is remote, but it is a possibility, of small pieces falling out of orbit, getting through our atmosphere, and coming to Earth. In short, we need to do a much better job picking up after ourselves. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios space reporter Miriam Kramer. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios space reporter, Miriam Kramer. So Miriam, let's just start here. How do we define the term space junk? Well, there are a couple of different definitions, but the one I like is basically anything in space that is not useful and is not coming down back through the atmosphere. So you got like dead satellites, little pieces of junk that have broken off of satellites, spent rocket bodies, just stuff that's up in space that could get in the way of actual operational And can you give me a scope of the problem? How much of this stuff is actually floating around? Yeah, so there are, I think, something on the order of of 500,000 pieces of various types. The main problem with them is that they're moving at something like 17,000 miles per hour in orbit, which basically means that even a tiny, tiny piece of space junk could really mess up a satellite or, you know, a spacecraft with people on it if it were to impact those useful objects in orbit. Have we seen that yet? Have there been collisions between space junk and, well, let's call them things we still value? There have been. There have been a couple of uh, minor incidents with the space station where, like, tiny pieces of junk will, you know, occasionally fly through one of the solar panels or something like that, which actually does not impact operations too much. But it is a, you know, a concern if it were, like, the space station often has to make these orbital boosts where it'll move out of the way of a piece of tracked space junk. But part of the problem, too, is that we we don't really know where everything is in space. It's really difficult to to track these objects. So it's sort of a guessing game sometimes of of where things might be. Why is it difficult to track them? Because we send them up, and and we know, for example, we know where our active satellites are. Is, Is it simply the tracking, the technology just dies over time like the satellite does? 
You know, the tracking is decent, but I think the main problem is that when you have these impact events, like if if, uh, a piece of a satellite breaks apart or it moves off course in some way, then it becomes harder to track because we have a good idea of where everything is if it's where it's supposed to be. But actually finding things, if they're not in the spot that you think that they are, is pretty difficult in space just because of the limitations of tracking today. You wrote on this week about some of these companies, ClearSpace, Astroscale, that that are basically trying to become space trash collectors and, and pull some of this stuff out. From your perspective, how viable are these projects? It remains to be seen. So these projects kind of rely on the idea that other private companies will succeed. So you have your, you know, OneWeb, Amazon, SpaceX, who all want to launch, you know, effectively thousands of new satellites up into relatively low orbit. And then companies like Astroscale and others are hoping to, to basically market themselves as like the janitors for those companies. So they will take these dead satellites out of orbit. Because even if these companies are able to have like really incredible failure rates, so even if it's 15% or something like that, still hundreds of satellites that could potentially just be dead in orbit and then threatening other active satellites that are in similar orbits. Whether you're an Amazon or SpaceX, is that the reason you would want to hire a company like Astroscale, in, in other words, to protect your active satellites? Or do they have any sort of legal responsibility that if they shoot up something that stops working, that they have to deal with it? Yeah, so they do want to be able to deorbit things quickly because of said self-preservation. As far as legal framework goes, it's a little bit murky. Anything launched up, if you've signed on to the sort of UN agreements, anything launched to space needs to come down within 25 years. But, you know, that's a pretty long amount of time. Well, particularly when we don't even know if the technology exists to take it down. Yeah, exactly. And and it, the thing is, like, things naturally will deorbit. And in lower orbits, like these um, SpaceX satellites and others, they will come down relatively quickly. But if they fail, it's chaotic. If, you know, something fails and it moves into a different orbit and you can't track it properly, like we were talking about a second ago, it can really have a bad impact on not only your stuff, but anyone else's stuff in that part of orbit. So it's a matter, I think really it's a matter of self-preservation for these guys. That's what the Astroscale and others are trying to kind of appeal to. And when you're these companies like Astroscale, is it the private sector, you know, the, the private sector launch companies, is that where their biggest business opportunity is as opposed to, you know, the clear scale signing, you know, getting a deal with the European Space Agency or somebody getting a deal with NASA or any other government satellites that have been launched? Is it private sector that is really the, going to be the main customer for these companies? Or are we going to see governments start to actually pay to pull down the stuff they launched over the last, you know, several decades. So I think that governments are actually would make more sense for these companies in some way, because these governments do have an active interest in actually clearing space out for everybody, because these governments also want the private sector to succeed. And if there's a bunch of junk up there at a certain point, it's going to be difficult for anybody to launch anything. As far as sort of consistent, like good business, like I think that governments are kind of where it's at. But if they really want to grow and if they really want to you know, have a long-term strategy, then they're going to want to see SpaceX, OneWeb, Amazon succeed because then you have thousands of new satellites up there and then also you know, hundreds of satellites that they're going to want to take out of space. So it's sort of a mixed bag, I would say. Miriam Kramer of Axios Space, which you can get at signup.axios.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. My final two right after this. 
Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique Smart Brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton, who recently tweeted that WeWork is, quote, a good example of why some people support a socialist like Bernie Sanders. Now, specifically, he's talking about the $1.7 billion or so that former CEO Adam Newman got to walk away from the company, including from its board of directors. And Cotton says Newman ought to be sued and investigated and called him a fraud. Three things to know. One, Adam Newman did indeed get an absurd exit package, but only around 200 million of that was to walk away. The rest relates to his stock in the company, which has obviously taken a huge valuation hit. Number two, WeWork failed in September and October of this year. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, for that matter, were doing just fine in the polls beforehand. And three, there continues to be zero evidence that there was financial fraud at WeWork. Hubris, sure, tons of it, but not financial fraud. And that's coming from folks on the inside and outside who I've talked to, folks who have poured over the books both before and after the company's abandoned IPO. If Cotton believes WeWork is why some Americans are skeptical of capitalism, he should perhaps consider WeWork as a symptom, not a cause. And finally, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas has hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 charts for the first time since it was released 25 years ago. That's the longest stretch ever between a song being released and hitting number one. And for context, the current number two song is Circles by Post Malone, an artist who was born one year after Carrie's Christmas song was first released. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national ugly Christmas sweater day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata Podcast.